This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome to the AA Live radio show. Kia ora, e and uh, it's lovely to be here this evening. This is a show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is a service which involves recovering alcoholics, supporting other alcoholics that want to stop drinking. We work together through the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous program. AA meetings open with the Serenity Prayer and then we read the AA preamble. So I'm going to start there this evening. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And our preamble that we have, folks, it, uh, it explains a little bit about what we do and our structure, I suppose. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our oops, sorry, through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And I would just like to say too at this point that any of the uh, opinions and chat that you hear this evening on this show are those of the people chatting. They are definitely not the opinions uh, of AA as a whole. Um, We can talk about all sorts of things, but yes, we are not talking on behalf of AA. We're talking as uh, people in in the fellowship basically. So you are listening to the AA Live radio show in association with our friends from Otago Access on 105.4 FM. I'd like to introduce our daily reflection for today. It is the 4th of October and this one here is called a necessary pruning. We know that the pains of drinking had to come before sobriety and emotional turmoil before serenity. That's from our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book, page 94. I love spending time in my garden, feeding and pruning my beautiful flowers. One day, as I was busily snipping away, a neighbour stopped by. She commented, Oh, your plants are so beautiful. It seems such a shame to cut them back. And I replied, I know how you feel, but the excess must be removed so they can grow stronger and healthier. Later I thought that perhaps my plants feel pain, but God and I know it's part of the plan and I've seen the results. I was quickly reminded of my precious AA program and how we all grow through pain. I ask God to prune me when it's time so I can grow. Thank you folks, that's certainly... Food for thought, and I know for a fact that I have been getting pruned and I have been growing healthier and stronger through my steps of AA. I'm something I'm incredibly grateful for. Now, October is step nine in AA. I'm just going to read that out to you. It is that we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, which I tend to do on a daily basis because I don't get it right all the time. Uh, It's not easy. Uh, There is no perfection. (laughs) It's not what we live for. (laughs) So it's uh, pretty much 
how we roll, isn't it? It's good to be able to take ownership of where you get it wrong. I am going to play a song right now. I hope you enjoy it. Get your toes tapping and see where it goes from there. you got your toes tapping to that one it's not a bad one that one one of the discoveries discoveries I've had through my journey of recovery is the turmoil and pain that I've caused uh, behind me and people that have come into my life gone out of my life and my family uh, and uh, I now live uh, as I was saying with step uh, nine I continue to take my personal inventory each day and and I look at what I've done and I apologise to the people immediately or, you know, the next day, whenever I take notice of it. But it's not something that I'm looking at from years ago. But it was interesting, this month's guest, uh, she certainly made me go away and and think about a few things after our catch-up. It was confronting, it was a very honest conversation and I hope you enjoy it. And uh, please be gentle on yourselves. I hope it doesn't trigger anyone out there listening. So uh, please enjoy this interview. I have been very lucky to have a friend of mine uh, whose um, mum has offered to come and talk to us today. Uh, She is a parent of two alcoholic children. I understand one is still active and one is in recovery, uh, which I imagine life is very different for them both. But um, I really appreciate her coming in to talk to us today. Thank you for taking the time to come here and see us. Uh, Jess, welcome. Thank you. Um, Tell me, having... Yeah, I... On my own journey of discovery of the destruction and chaos that I left behind, I feel for you having two of them. <laughs> um, tell me, did you have dreams for your children? Was it? A- oh yes, definitely. 
Yeah. They were in the beginning, as they say in the Bible, they were they had every possible potential to be anything they wanted. Yeah. Good looking, relatively bright, one brighter than the other. Friendly personalities, everybody loved them. They were polite and they were what my mother would call well brought up. Were they sporty? Were they active? Were they? I mean, these days kids are so. They weren't team people, but they were athletic. Right. They had good bodies and they they were well built children. Straight and tall, good teeth. You know, (laughs) everyone looked at my children and said, that's. And I thought, yes, maybe that was worth. Worth everything you went through. Yes. Maybe that was worth it. (laughs) This is what I thought before they hit teenage. Right, yes, the teenage After times. that, not so much. <laughs> yes, yeah. Not so much. And when they started drinking, was it something you noticed? Like, do you know what, what sort, to you, what sort of age were they, do you think, when they started drinking? Well, I was really naive when I look back on it because I, I didn't think my children would do anything like that. I didn't think that they would lie and cheat and hide around corners and... Um, it never occurred to me that they would go that way morally. And stupid me. And I, they would be doing things and I would think, where the dot, 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 did that come from? That's, they didn't see that at home. Yeah, so they grew up so in, a, they, in a home yeah, with yeah, yes. high morals the and fridge so wasn't forth. full of booze and mm. parents didn't lie around scratching with a glass of wine in their hand. Mm. There was none of that going on. Kids were too busy. Out and about, they both had after-school jobs, and everything was rolling along. Schools weren't brilliant, but then I didn't like school either, so I sort of understood that. And there was not much pressure, and I wanted my children to be independent and able to push out into the world and sock it in the nuts, literally because I'd had such a protected childhood right? and wouldn't say boo if anybody looked at me, and it was ages before they could do that, because my parents came from wartime. Yes. And it was a different upbringing. And I wanted my children to be not happy, but free to go out and experiment. And pretty much after the age of 10, I just let the leash get further and further and further. And I don't think I'd change that again, even though they might have thought twice about lying down and chugging, whatever it was the other kids were chugging. And I think that it, some of it must have started, when I'm looking back, I'm supposing, it was the company they kept. Yes, I was going to say that influence of yeah. people at school, because when you start college, isn't it, then high school, that is when you, you know, that they become such individuals, mm. don't they? Mm. There were several times when my daughter shot the crap out of me by being toped and also slurring her words. And I thought, wow, you know, not even 15 and she's really taking the bait and running with it. It's like there's no there's no way a parent can go finger pointing and going, if you do that again, you're going to go in your room and blah, 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 blah. There's no point in even, I felt there was nothing verbal. And my, their father was useless right. um, with that. Was now, there alcoholism in the family? Was there a history yes. of it? Um, yes. Of course, okay. but not, but. On but your side husband, or your husband's side? husband's side. Right. But, but my husband never appeared to me to be a, what I would call an alcoholic. His father was a disgusting alcoholic. Right. In that he would retreat into himself and sit in the corner of the room and look at everybody as though they were poo on his shoe. Right. He was a very, oh, I'm above it all. But he, he had, obviously, no self-respect. He would sit there and eat pickles out of the jar. With his fingers, you know, he was really, he was a, a real pommy. Well, they say the that it can miss a generation. Yes. And then they say sometimes with alcoholism it misses oh. one. So, well, we didn't have a lot of money. So it wasn't as though our fridge, like, mm. alcohol didn't come into the shopping list. It just wasn't there. Mm. And, and there were various social occasions where um, I would notice that, that, my husband would be drinking, but I never thought anything about it. it the Kiwi thing, he was, he was in rugby teams, he was in light league teams, he was sporty, he was big, he was built like a shed, and 
surf clubs and all of that sort of thing where drinking was all part of it. I was going to say that yeah. the... Um, all part of it, socially. It is in the New Zealand social realm, isn't it? it it's, everybody drinks in that sense that I think a lot of it is hidden in this, in those clubs and in rugby's and uh, we socialise as a race in New Zealand. One of our things is socialising around a table with a few beers. We're not alone in that. We're not the only no, country we're not. that does that. But we no. do have an well, issue. Well, a lot here. of us have Scottish ancestry and Irish ancestry and 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 the Poms, and they can drink you under the floor. It's just. Nighttime in the cities in the UK and places like that. Well, it's makeup, isn't it? It's, it's just, just well, yeah, it's, it's normal. Just, and you see young women with no underwear on, drunk, mm. drunk out of their tree, lying in the gutter, and then complaining afterwards. Well, I didn't have a, I didn't have my taxi fare to get home, so that's why I went home with him or him or him or him. So all that loose sex and uh, foul behaviour, getting locked up, and it, it all becomes part of a, part of a. Uh, a rite of passage. This is this is what you do. This makes me feel cocky. I'm I sure I can hit that guy outside the pub, but whatever he didn't die. My son has said that to me, and that he's three times he has king hit men who challenged him outside a pub. How shameful is that? And he's he's been drunk driving. It's interesting socially, and that's shameful. He's driven. And he's boasted about it. Right. I drove from X to X, and I hit this speed, and all the time I had a can of beer between my legs. And I thought, you know what? That might be the way you're buried. You might go out in the coffin with a can of beer under your nuts, mm. because that's about what you've turned out like. Yeah. Unrecognisable. Yeah. It's a, it is a scary thing how many people i saw an article actually just the other day in uh the surfing world one of um one of the surfing greats 46 uh was in the pub drinking i think he was in australia uh had an altercation with somebody they hit him king hit dead dead yeah, yeah, only 46 yeah. years old. Yeah, um, yeah and the, these things, and, oh, you know, it's all around alcohol. But, um, it is socially, I think it has such a huge impact on society. Well, I think if, pe if people grow up without having, I mean, I don't think we really know, I mean, I still don't know myself, although I'm starting to think, who gives a Plus. dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, because philosophically, who you are is your own business and how you carry on is your own business and your own choice. And if you feel that you're offending people by saying things which we were discussing before, mm. um, that's their problem, not yours. And yes. you can't go around going, oh, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to be like that. And I want them to think that I sit with my knees together all the time and that I've never done anything dirty or naughty or, you know, it's like... <laughs> None of us are the same, and none of us are perfect. Well, no. <laughs> I find the right well, way. And that's not just a matter of looking in the mirror and going, oh, I wish one eyebrow was not as high as, high as the other, or, you know, I've got this funny tooth in the front, or, you know, my breasts are hanging down to a place where, you know, I could be resting on my kneecaps. So you can't go around saying things like that about yourself. If you do, you need to get a few tapes on self yeah, I do know from experience that a lot of people in the rooms of AA mm. have gone down that line trying, mm. I mean, self-help books, self-help mm. books, because the control alcohol has, the, the craving mm. that alcohol has makes them feel like they're going mad, mm. and they don't understand, and I do know, for, you know, even for myself, you know, reading books of what? You know, how could I help myself? What could I do mm. differently? All sorts of things, trying to find it. But it didn't stop the craving. No. And so, yeah, that's what I think you'd have to put yourself on an island for six months. And well, yes, I suppose. you drink out of a coconut. Yeah, so rehab. Rehab is... Um, heroin and all the other. Any, all any addictions. Sex yes. addiction is oh. that I've struck to be most aligned to lack of self-respect. I've met people like that. 
Well, I think that um, alcohol, drugs, Mm. um, all those sort of things, there's a huge amount of shame behind them. Mm. Do you recall your children hiding their drinking from you? Did you think they were trying to hide it from you at the beginning or you knew, like if you were to say, oh, I think this one started at this age and this one started at that age, do you, do you have an idea as to when you think that all happened? Sometime in their teens, there was a marital implosion right. uh, in the family, which you could say made the children feel as though there was no control and that the control and safety in the house and in life generally was lost. Right. And so it was lost by, and I'm going to use the word abandonment because that's what happened. That's often with alcoholics, abandonment. So there was the abandonment and all of a sudden I couldn't pull all the strings together. And the whole thing about being parenting to me was that if I took it on at the age I did, that I was going to make a bloody good job of it the best I possibly could. And so keeping them safe, well-fed, um, uh, teaching them all the things to, for them to keep them safe, and and having a home which wasn't a state house in the middle of an area where they had to put up with being bashed up at school you know, on the way home or crime all around them. I didn't want any of that. If they got to a certain age where they were 15 and getting in cars and people that didn't know very well and driving, I had hoped that they would know enough from what we talked about and how I behaved not to make themselves unsafe. But it was as though all those, it was about 12 or 15 years of parenting, I came to the conclusion, it's like the old saying, take a horse to water. Yes. Um, you can't... <laughs> They could say, well, mum doesn't do it. She hasn't been seen hanging around with no knickers on the surf club. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't. Yeah, right. And, it, and it's a, it was like a thumb to the nose. Up yours. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care how I look. Um, nothing I believed as being stable or part of my life before this time, this blocked off time, doesn't count for anything. It didn't count for anything. And it made me start to think, why 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 did I begin this all <laughs> What were what were my thoughts when I first birthed these children? And where did I think it was going to end up? And why was I so positive? But naive. I was positive that everything that I put in place would give a really good foundation for their young adult growth. Yeah, I think you're probably in the same boat with no. a lot of parents who are, yes. have children of addiction, and it comes from nowhere. Just, I, um, yeah, it's, yes, where, where did that happen? And you, you walk yeah. around with your eyeballs revolving for, for years, going, look at that, oh, they did that, and whoa, did that, and some part of me is going, that took guts, and the other part of me is going, what the? La, 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 was that about, do they know what they're doing? The thing that I now realise about all that time, the 20-odd years, or one of the cases of my son, his entire life, is this: is the ruination of their physicality, is that the, the skin they walk around in is the only thing holding everything inside, and that they've, they've bastardised all their good stuff their livers and their hearts and their tissues and everything that makes them have a longevity, everything that makes them be able to um, go forth in the world without having horrendous health issues. And I think that's a wealth that's been thrown away. Yeah, yeah. It's been discarded. Part of their destruction. Yes, it's yeah. self-destruction. Yeah. Um, and now you can, the last time I saw my son, he looked like a boiled drunk. That's the only way I can describe it. I couldn't look at him. Uh, sullen, cynical, angry, red-faced, sweaty, and so unattractive. I can't imagine anybody wanting to even 
Did you find just talking about that cohabitation that that your children tended to um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They tended to drive themselves towards people who were of the same level. I wasn't sure that their self-esteem was. I had my own issues there. Right. <laughs> so I could say, I could say that if you have, if you have the key to freedom to try anything you like, it's very difficult to say, well, now I have to think about that. There's a pros and a cons. You're sitting in a situation, you're thinking, but you're not really thinking that way. If I do this, this might occur. But on the other side, what fun would that be? And and so on and so on. You can second guess yourself into a complete twist. And I think that that what young people do is that they don't they don't measure the risk of any of those things. They just go ahead and then afterwards go, Well, that wasn't such a good idea. I'll try not to do that again. And it's the same with relationships. And then of course they they do try it again and they might they might be settling something that, that just becomes a huge disappointment. Disappointment is, oh, I should have that tattooed on my ass, because that's life. Yes. Life is a series of that. And the number of times I've said, well, I thought that wasn't coming up. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> oh, oh, no. He's not the princeling I thought he was. So. Well, yes, it can happen and whether you're in addiction absolutely, or not. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you can be addicted to the, the, some one of the worst addictions, and it's got nothing to do with drugs and alcohol or any other mind-altering thing, is the addiction to a dream that you might have yes. that you think, now that's what I want, that's what I'm striving towards. And if out of those ten things, if I get eight things, you do these little bargains in your head. Yes, I know that this is he's like this or she's like that, but I can live with that because there's this other good thing on this side. And I don't have to change that. I can live with it. And then you find, well, sorry, no. I find I can't live with it. I can't live with it. Yeah. That happens through life for everything. No, I find it really, no. I'm almost done like. I'm not liking that. <laughs> and I, I can hear myself, I can hear my mother going, but darling, what do you think you're doing? And she was, she was very proper in some ways, and and very moral and ethical. She was a Quaker, and so she had a way of looking at life after going through World War Two, which was not anything any of our generations after that could possibly match. That mm. I just knew that she had a strong influence on me, and there were many times when my children were doing this, and I was going, "Darling, rise above it," or <laughs> it was always, oh, there was always something stage-like and never shouted and then none of that. And there's no point in doing all that. And there was a point where I just had to say it to myself, probably before they were 20. Did you find that you had to put in your own coping me mechanisms to help, the, help, well, to survive yourself or to or manage the... Mm. Watching the destruction of their lives. I mean, I'm assuming that made me mad as hell. Right. I many times, many times would have loved to have biffed my kids at the side of the head with a phone book. <laughs> like I had a surge of red mist many times when I just thought maybe a bit of good old fashioned violence with the end of a spade would make me feel so much better. And um it might it might just wake them up. It was like thinking they're going around in this blah blah fancy boastful foul alcoholic top of everybody. Oh, you know who? What do they know? Foul language and just uh, this. Uh, if you saw them in a group at a party, both of my children behaving the way they did, you'd think. Not going over to that part of the room. <laughs> I'm go. I'm either going to leave if I can't find. But those two have got to be avoided at all costs because that's not what I want to burden myself with. Right. That is not what I choose. But what I choose is personal, and what my children chose was something Opposite. way <laughs> out of my universe. And after a bit, I just floated off and went into. My 
40s in another world. And just my children bounced around in it somewhere here and there, but pretty much lost. You are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. I hope you're enjoying this interview and we're going to uh, go back to that one right now. Thank you. And my son, I see, is pretty much deceased. Right. You don't um, have, uh, have, you no, don't see no, him? No. The last phone call I had was despicable, really foul. And um, he, 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 yeah, I, he, I'm just sick of listening to him blaming everybody but himself for his foul life. Mm. And there's nothing really foul. There's life that isn't associated with him causing it, brings it on himself. But I can't stand how he badmouths the mothers of his children. Yes. And I can't, and, and these women are, or well, one's not, you know, the brightest crock on the shelf, but the other one has worked really hard and has a very alternative lifestyle and way of doing things. But the children have come out, okay, and he's, he's got a son with this woman and he does nothing but run her into the ground and I'd had enough. I said, I just don't think you should be talking about her that way and you just should just pull your socks up and just... Don't talk to me about it. Talk to somebody else who might say, you know, sympathise with you. But I don't sympathise with you because I know what you did back in the beginning. I now know what you did. And what you did was shocking. And what she did to you to get you out of her life was very brave. Oh, and understanding. right on the button. And I'm <laughs> standing here waving a flag thinking, good on you, girl. And, uh, and I said, I'm really, you're just a bit of a prick. And I put the phone down. He sent me a text calling me a dog and uh, telling me I would die on my own and my own shit. And I thought, well, well, you know, there are many answers that I could give to that. I could send the one that text that I wanted to do the most, which was, well, that's a pretty stupid text. Did you read that on a bumper sticker? Mm. And just make that my last expression as a parent to a boy who was just a waste of space. Yeah. A middle-aged man. Yeah. A middle-aged man who people with sons... Who should look after him? God help them. Yeah, it's well, interesting, the isn't it? Is a shocker. They say that uh, alcoholics the remain the age. Yes, he, he's from, a fifteen-year-old. Yes, from when they started on the drinking. Phone, he's mm. you can hear him snorting on a on a long neck. Yeah, um, and uh, he always does it on a Sunday. What's with that? Um, Oh, Sunday. What, ringing you on a Sunday yes, or the drinking of times on a Sunday? Yes, right. number come up. And I on a Sunday. Hang on, do I want to burn my loins to talk to this person? <laughs> and ruin your Sunday. And realise, you know, why did I waste my, you know, youthful life um, giving birth to this person? Um, and really, I'm quite black and white about the waste, the waste of my time and energy and effort and fears and, and uh, yes, expectations and hoping and dreams. Yeah, the dreams for, you know, actually sometimes I would look at my children and think, God above, you know, like that. Well, you've almost yes. grieved them already as oh, well, haven't I you? Because all you, the stages yes, of that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and I suppose the book up the head with this phone book was pretty much the denial. <laughs> and then it got to the point where I thought, oh, they're just going to die. And mm. it's just, you know, like. And and I became more and more and more independent um, as the decades went on because it's many decades now. And I'm now an elderly person. <laughs> and, I, and I'm even more philosophical than ever before that any years existing ahead of me, with me and my daughter and my son. My, well, my son won't factor. He won't factor. I don't think he'll live much longer. But the but any work or family time from this age onwards to whenever I die has to be positive. Yes. And and has to be um, me less independent and um, but not needy and I'm healthy and I'm... Um, pretty stroppy and um, so you've got a daughter in recovery yes is that a positive thing 
happening. It is. I watch her working at it and can see that it's hard work. Um, she's a mother herself, and that's e- I think that's even harder. Her, her parenting role is even harder than her AA role. Right. That's how I see it. Right. As a, as a reflective parent. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. So I imagine, is there a lot of guilt in there for her, do you think? Yes, I think that the whole, the whole without knowing below by blow, um, I think that the whole thing was supposed to be not what it turned out to be. Yes. And that she was already of an age and stage where if she didn't do it, then she wouldn't do it. Um, and I don't know what the outcome would have been if she hadn't done it. I don't know that there would have been any more regret than she already had. Right. You can't go around measuring and saying, oh, I hadn't done that. This Measures of regret. Regret is the one thing you have to push away. Yes. You have to push it away, flush it, talk to yourself in the mirror, write it down, tear it up the next day. You can't live in regrets. It's a killer. (laughs) You can't because you have no time. This is the only time you've got. You're on the planet. You've got to be thankful you're not living in the Middle East and having to wear a burqa and getting done up the bum. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the Iranian girls. Thank God you didn't Mm. end up in Iran. Thank God you didn't live in Cambodia where I lived for a while. I saw what the women separated there. You know, we live in this... When I came back to New Zealand after being away, working in third world countries and experiencing life, I thought how fat and mucky and whiny and um, needy we were and how the younger generation were needed a good poke with a stick. I think that a lot of a lot of uh, the younger generation whose whose parents have um, made them into these young adults who are not self-sufficient. And I'm generalising here. A lot of kids are very successful. They spin through school and the, their families never break up and nothing ever goes wrong. They never get sick. But you know, I don't know. I wouldn't want to know what the percentage was of that. I think a lot of the average lives of people, New Zealanders, families, etc., are fraught with all sorts of ups and downs. Mm, a lot and goes on behind closed doors. A lot goes on. And a lot of people live, as I did as a parent, mouth to mouth, week to week, supermarket trolley to supermarket trolley. I had the power cut off and things. I had the power cut off. The power was cut off for the week before I gave birth to my second child. That that was a huge flare for me. Mm. I knew from that time on that whatever happened, I had to take control. I had to be, because otherwise we'd end up in my worst nightmare. Um, in a state house, living with car wrecks on the lawn, and that's pretty much we got close to doing that. Yeah, it's and interesting that that, that nearly wanted to make me buy a gun. So <laughs> I must say, my own experience too, finding myself in a position uh, with yes, several it's big red flags, yes. and going right. I need to take control yes, of the situation now. And um, yeah, I've been. Uh, walking around with um, oh, a, a steel jaw mm. <laughs> um, in that... Where were you in a trauma at any time, my dear? And you think, oh, trauma every frigging night. It's <laughs> like my second husband smacking me in the throat and yeah. all of that. Yes, of course. Oh, I love you, darling. Here, take this backhand across the neck. So, you know, all of that makes your teeth. You get to my age, and the dentist, oh, so you poor thing. How long have you been grinding your teeth? Yes, interesting, yeah. And so it's one of your coping mechanisms. Yes, yes, give me this to chew on. Um, and, and I've developed, a, uh, more than developed, a very dark sense of humour, and also I, I find a lot of things very funny in the disgusting things of life, like people shitting themselves when they're drunk and stuff like that. I find that extremely funny 
in a dark way. I don't look at that and think, oh, poor souls, you know, oh, look at that. that oh. And I've seen people like that. Thankfully, I've never all down their front and, and, you know, <laughs> brown underpants and stuff like that and thought, well, you know, you know, does that make you feel good? Did you wake up in the morning and thought, well, you, what a night. <laughs> were you aware that um, actually the young people of today drink less mm. than the oh, 40 to 50-year-olds of our, our society? Oh, yes, the well-dressed, well-fed, um, highly paid middle class. Um, and lowly paid. <laughs> lowly paid too, but I think, I think the middle class... Uh, Huge drinkers. Um, I've, I was on the sort of fringe of that probably in my 50s. By the time I got to my 60s, I wasn't. By the time I got to the end of my 50s, I wasn't interested. And I, I would look at people drinking and think, oh, you should see yourself. You look just awful. I don't think I'd want to be out in public doing what you're doing. I, and I have a sense of, and this will be sounding very unattractive, but I, I think that people who do that and become like that and go out and drink lots of wine and go, ha, 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 they're, they're gutless. I think they're just behaving in a way that they think is okay and it isn't, and, it, and, and they don't, they have no self-control. And they might not be like that for the rest of the week. They might hold down really good jobs and the other things. Well, an alcoholic can be a binge drinking alcoholic as well. Yes, they can. But a lot of the a lot of the people who drink like that socially don't drink during the week at all. Correct. And on the weekend, so I don't know whether that's an alcoholic or not. But they're using it as a release. But some people every night when they go home, and I lived like this for a little while. You go home, and the first thing you do, you go to the fridge and have a glass of white. So how many times do you see that on television as being totally acceptable behaviour? Mm. And it's or it's like in the days when everybody's had a spirit. You got home or you got to work or you took a phone call where there was a trigger. There was always a trigger to either have a drink or a cigarette or something to eat. Mm. So it's just human it's just human behaviours. Yeah. We have in AA actually a um, ten things that if you're saying to yourself, mm. so you can't remember what you said the night before, <laughs> you um, wake up and go, I'm not going to have a drink today, but then you know by the end of the yeah. day you're having yeah. a drink. Of course. Um, you've um, organised things and you've forgotten you've organised things. Yes, all you, of this- Decide you have earned a drink. All of these are things that show you um, <laughs> that you may be, uh, you know, alcoholism may be running somewhere in there. There's, yeah, there's a lot of little things that happen. Yes, and I recognise all of that actually. Yes, but probably pertaining more to chocolate. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes. everybody has some form of yes. addiction. Yes, <laughs> and I reward myself with chocolate, and then I don't buy it for two weeks. And I say, what a good girl you are. How stupid that is. You're going to be fat either way. I guess might as well go down with a big clump. I think um, <laughs> as an alcoholic, as a recovering yes. alcoholic myself, I've definitely been through that. Of, mm. Oh, mm. you know, I might as well just keep going. Absolutely. And that was part of my mm. insanity. Like, and I'd be mm. going, why can't I mm. not? Mm. Why, why can't I stop? Why mm. can't I stop? And then going, oh, mm. wait, so many times waking up in the morning going, I'm not going to have a drink. Do you think your um, child in recovery, do you think uh, she's in a happier place now? Um, yes. She's more in control now than uh, I think she was a few years ago. Um, I hope she, she appears to be more in control, but my experience has been... Yeah, I'm not really, really sure. sure yet. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, maybe there's some flannel going on. I'm sure there's quite a bit of flannel going on because my daughter was very experienced at creating flannel. <laughs> when you say flannel, what do you mean? Fluff. Oh, fluff. Fluff. Um, stories that are only half the story. Right. Um, 
It's like a child standing, no, mummy, no, mummy, I didn't. Honestly, I didn't. And her fingers are crossed behind her back. I did, but I didn't know what caused it, mummy. I'm not sure. Um, but I'll just go along with what you want right now. Right. And therefore, if you're okay, it'll be okay. Yeah, right. I did the same thing with my mother. Yeah. I think there's yeah. probably a level of that with all of us, isn't there? Well, of course, because we've gone it and we've done it already. <laughs> and, uh, and here you are with two children who are alcoholics, you lucky thing. Hey, look, I really want to say a huge thank you to you for coming in today, being so uh, honest with us. This is it's never an easy thing. Well, yeah, okay, I'll think about that. Um, look, I, yeah, I can't say enough thank yous for you coming in because quite often on the show we have – the alcoholics in recovery yes. and talking about their experience, their strength and their hope. And I think it is wonderful for our listeners to hear the bluntness and the honesty of what our destruction, our, our choices, our drinking mm. does to our families because I think it um, takes a little bit of time to realise what we've done and mm. the implications of it and so forth. Well, folks, I hope that uh, that interview was interesting and you enjoyed listening to that. Uh, I'd just like to say there are no membership fees to join AA. All you need is a want or even a curiosity on giving up on drinking. Also like to mention there is Al-Anon. For those family members out there of alcoholics, uh, you can uh, find those meetings online as well. But those who are drinking, perhaps you're at a place of desperation where you know you need to give up, come on in. Come and sit in a meeting and start the journey. I'd like to thank the Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM for letting us have the show this evening, the AA Live Show. Now in Dunedin we have 14 meetings a week. It's quite a lot. Uh, we have lunchtime meetings and evening meetings. Please check our website on aa.org.nz. There you will find lists of meetings across the whole of New Zealand showing times and places. There are also Zoom meetings. The details there are online as well, so if you prefer the privacy of your home, please don't hesitate to jump on Zoom. If you need to reach out for help please do not hesitate to call us on 0800 AA Works. That's 0800 229 6757. This phone line is operated by alcoholics for alcoholics. So you'll get one of us on the other side. We can help or at least have a chat. So please do call. That's 0800 229 6757. We also have a web address here in Otago, that's www.aaotago.nz. Now, we are going to finish with a song this evening, which I would like to dedicate to a friend in the fellowship who passed away this week. Uh, our thoughts are with the family and friends who remain. Uh, rest in peace, my friend, and I hope you uh, enjoy this song and you are in a peaceful place. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places that this heart of mine embraces all day through. In the small cafe The park across the way The children's carousel The chestnut trees The wishing well I'll be seeing you Every lovely summer's day Everything that's light and gay I'll always think of you new 
I'll be looking at the moon But I'll be seeing you To Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry there for that song. Take care of yourselves out there, folks. Thank you for spending the evening with me and thank you to our show producers, Spencer and Jeff. Matiwa, everyone. Until next time. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.